This morning we're going to be in the seventh chapter of the book of Mark. Um, we'll, we'll have, the, we'll have the, the, the verses up on the screen, but if you have a, a Bible or an app with you um, that is more convenient for you to look at, we are going to be in the seventh chapter of the book of Mark. Um, this is a, a, an account that's also given to us by Matthew in Matthew, the 15th chapter, but I like some of the details in, in Mark's account. We'll reference uh, a couple of things from Matthew, but we'll be looking primarily at, at the account in, in Mark chapter 7 um, as, as we go through this. Um, Mark's account in, in Mark 7 begins like this. He says, the Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Now I want to just stop here and sort of give some context. We're going to go back to the beginning of the account. Because what I want us to notice here, you'll notice that Mark records... The Pharisees and teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem. Now, I don't want to just blow by that statement because it's essential that we put some context into, into, this, into this event that happens. If we were reading in Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 15, we go back to Matthew chapter 14, we would see what had happened immediately before this. And in fact, we already have looked at this in an earlier lesson in this particular series. Because in Matthew chapter 14, we read about that, that situation where Jesus was preaching to a big crowd of people on the southern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you remember that he dispersed the crowd and sent them, sent them home and he sent the disciples in a boat across the lake because they were going to the north the north shore to to continue their sojourn in Galilee <coughs> and he stayed behind on a mountain uh, on a mountainside to pray for a while by himself and while the disciples were were crossing the lake in this boat you remember a storm came up and at one point during the course of the storm they looked out they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. And they were terrified at first. They thought, what is, is it a ghost? What are we seeing? And Jesus said, don't, don't, don't be afraid. It's, it, it is I. And Peter, you'll remember, because Peter was born under the sign of the big mouth. He was the first one to, he was the first one to jump into the conversation, always. So, well, Lord, if that's you... Tell me to come out there. And Jesus said, well, come on. And remember, Peter got out of the boat, and he's actually walking on the surface of the water, just like Jesus. Until the point at which he realizes, hey, there's a storm going on. 
and there's wind rushing about, and there's waves thrashing, and he got distracted and became afraid, and he began to sink into the water. And Jesus reached out and, of course, rescued him with those famous words, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they got into the boat, the, the storm passed, and they went on their way. And you remember that when they arrived on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee, they were in a town called Genesaret. In fact, the Sea of Galilee today is often referred to as Lake Genesaret because of that, because of that town. Um, they, they arrived in Genesaret, and a great crowds of people were coming to hear Jesus preach as well as to bring their sick and their infirm to him in order that those people might be healed. And all of that is important for us to realize as we go into this account because what has occasioned these Pharisees and teachers of the law to come from Jerusalem is the fact that Jesus is drawing these massive crowds. He is at this moment in time at the peak of his popularity. Everybody wants to see and hear Jesus. And people are coming from everywhere to wherever he is to see him, to be healed by him, to, to, to be in his presence. And this is, of course, concern to, of concern to, the, to these Pharisees and teachers of the law because it's taking attention away from them. Because they're used to having people look to them as being, you know, the, 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 the speakers of God's things, as it were. And so they've come from Jerusalem. And the reason we need to understand this is that come from Jerusalem means they traveled 80 miles from Jerusalem to Genesaret. And that's not 80 miles on the freeway. That's 80 miles on dirt road, or dirt path really, on foot. That is, to put this in our context, like walking from here to Gilroy. You don't just walk to Gilroy. <laughs> Unless you've got a really good reason to do that. Now our brother Jay could probably run that in a day. But for most of us, that is a walk of several days. You know, it stops overnight. So when it says that these Pharisees and teachers of the law came from Jerusalem, they weren't just in the neighborhood. They've traveled a long way to see what's going on with Jesus and to see what they can do about it. And what they've seized upon is they've seen his disciples eating without washing their hands first. That's the thing they jumped on. That's the thing that they've chosen. That's the hill they're going to die on. Jesus' disciples are eating without washing their hands. And... and Mark tells us why that's important because it was the tradition of the elders that you ate after 
doing a ceremonial washing. And it's a ceremonial thing. It's not a health thing because, you know, the, the, the germ theory of, of disease spread isn't going to be around for another eight, 1,800 years. And they're not worried about, you know, germy hands. They're just worried about the fact that we have this tradition that before you eat, you engage in this ceremonial washing. And these men are not doing that. They're sitting down to eat and, and they're just eating without going through that process. And so the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, these people who have walked all this way from Jerusalem to Genesaret to find something that they can get in an argument with Jesus about, ask him this question. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Why is it that these men are flagrantly violating our tradition by eating without going through the ceremony that customarily, by tradition, precedes the act of eating. And here's how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. You remember that at the very beginning of his period of earthly ministry, Jesus was confronted by Satan in the wilderness. And you remember that Satan presented three great temptations to him. And each time that Satan presented one of those temptations, how did Jesus respond? It is what? Written. He went to God's word to address the things that Satan was putting before him. Notice he does that exact same thing here. He doesn't answer the question right away as to the washing of hands and whether his disciples are or aren't doing it or whether they should or shouldn't be doing it. He goes right to the word of God and says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Because Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain and their teachings are merely human rules. Because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were not concerned about whether the disciples of Jesus were breaking God's law. They were not concerned about whether these men were committing a sin 
against which God had commanded and as a result <coughs> were, were condemning themselves. That wasn't their issue. Their issue was, we have a tradition and you guys don't follow it. Their teachings, Jesus said, are merely human rules. You have let go the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. They had supplanted the things that God had said and put above them the traditions that God had not said anything about, but rather had become part of their practice because somebody said we should do it that way. Somebody said we should wash our hands before we eat. And that had become law. Not because God said you had to do it, but because somebody said so. And it was that law that they were more concerned about than the law of God. And so Jesus continued. He said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, and when he said Moses said, he knew they understood that to mean God said, because Moses was God's lawgiver. Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. That's what God said. God said, honor your father and mother. If you curse your father or mother, you'll be put to death. That was God's law. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. You see, they had, they had this tradition, because remember from other things that we have read and talked about in this series, that the Pharisees and the and the teachers of the law and the, the, the religious leaders were very, were very big on the idea of their giving. Their giving was important not so much just because they were giving people, but because they liked to be seen as giving. They liked people to see how much they gave and how much of what they had they were willing to devote to God. But they had this tradition that you could designate from among your possessions anything and say that it was devoted to God. That was convenient because what it meant was you could give to God without actually giving anything. Because if you said, well, that's devoted to God, but you still got to keep it and use it. <laughs> That's not really much of a sacrifice. 
But that was their tradition. You could say, oh, look at all of these things I have, but these things have been devoted to God. Look at me. Look at how much I'm giving to God. But part of the trick of that was that if you had devoted things to God, then you really couldn't use them. For example, if your parents were in need, you couldn't take that and give it to them in order that they could use it and benefit from it. Because you'd already said, this is devoted to God. So you couldn't take what was devoted to God and give it to mom and dad. Because it's devoted to God. So not only was it that they said, these things are devoted to God, and therefore, sorry mom and dad, I can't help you. But notice what Jesus said you no longer let them, that is to say, those who follow your tradition, you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. So not only were they using this as a tool to absent themselves from their own responsibilities, but they were telling those who followed them, if you take the things that you've devoted for, to God and use them to help your family members, then you are breaking the tradition. You are wrong. So this wasn't just a thing they were imposing on themselves as an individual choice. This was a thing they were binding on others. Saying that if you don't do this, you can't hang with us. You can't be part of our group. And thus, they were preventing people from obeying the very commands that God had given, honor your father and mother. And so it is that Jesus says, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. That word nullify means to, to make void, to make of no effect. You essentially are erasing the word of God in the lives of the people who follow you because of your tradition. And then Jesus says, notice, you do many things like that. This is just one example of what you're up to. This is just one example of how you are using your tradition to destroy the word of God in the minds and hearts of God's own people. Because you have elevated what you say above what God said. You have made that more important. And now Jesus calls the crowd to him. And what that actually means is he, he turns his attention from these Pharisees and these leaders 
who have come with them from Jerusalem to the people who are standing around observing this conversation. He stops talking to them and starts talking to the masses and says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now again, Jesus is not giving a lesson on health here. Jesus is not saying that if you put nasty things in your body, it's not going to hurt you. That's not his point. His point is, you may very well eat things that have not been cleansed according to the tradition of the elders. Or you may eat things handled with hands that have not been cleansed according to the tradition of the elders. But from a spiritual perspective, that does you no harm. He's not talking about the physical body here. He's talking about the spirit. It does you no spiritual harm to eat with unwashed hands. If that's the circumstance that you're in or if that's the choice you've made. What does spiritual harm is what's on the inside of you that comes out. Not what's on the outside that goes in. That's where your focus ought to be. Not on the ceremony of what you're putting in your mouth, but on the reality of what comes out of your mouth and the reasons why it's coming out of your mouth. If we go back to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew interpolates this at this point in the narrative. He says the disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, the Pharisees were offended when they heard this. And Jesus said, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus essentially saying, that's okay, let them be offended. Because they're going down a dark path. And anybody that's following them is going down that same dark road. And all of them are going to fall in a pit. All of them are going to fall into danger. Both the leaders and the followers. Because they are not walking according to the words of God. Don't follow those blind leaders. Because they don't know where they're going. And then going back to Mark's account. Mark continues... After Jesus left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples, and again, 
Matthew clarifies for us that by his disciples, Mark really means Peter, because, again, Peter, always the first one to jump into the conversation. Asked him about the, this, this thing that he had been teaching. And Jesus said, are you so dull? Do you not see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? It doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach. And then out of the body. And again, we have to be clear that by defile, Jesus is not giving a health lesson. He's not giving a science lesson. He's not talking about harm to the physical body. When Jesus talks about defilement, his one and only interest is spiritual defilement. That's his concern. And what Jesus is saying is, nothing that you eat can harm you spiritually. Because what does it do? It goes in your stomach, your body processes it. What your body doesn't use passes through as waste. That's all it is to it. It's just physical stuff. It can't harm you spiritually. And Mark adds the note in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Because you'll remember, they had a lot of rules and regulations about, you know, eat this, don't eat that. Many of those rules, of course, we, having the benefit of modern science, understand why God gave them those rules. Because a lot of those rules have to do with Things that they couldn't deal with from a sanitary perspective in the environment that they had. And so God told them, don't eat that, not because there was really some spiritual problem with them eating those things, but in order to keep them from eating things that would harm them. Concerns we don't have today for by and large. And so what Jesus is saying is, you really can eat anything. Food can't do you spiritual harm. Food just goes in and comes out. That's all there is to it. But, what comes out of a person Jesus says, is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, Folly. All of these evils come from inside and they defile a person. Amen. Jesus is saying, don't worry about the things you put in your mouth. 
as to whether those things are going to somehow damage you spiritually, they can't. Here's what damages you spiritually. All the stuff you've got going on up here. And all the stuff you've got going on in here. That's the stuff that harms you spiritually. All of these things that Jesus puts on this list are things that, while many of them involve physical activity, sexual immorality involves something physical, theft involves a physical activity, murder, a physical activity, adultery, physical activity, some of these other things also. But what Jesus is saying is, these evils don't start with a physical activity. They start with the thought that inspired the physical activity. And you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spent most of what we would call Matthew chapter 5 dealing with this. Going through the Ten Commandments and saying, you've heard that this was written. And you understood it from a very narrow perspective. But I want you to understand it from a greater spiritual perspective. And he comes back to that point here. That all of these things are wrong not because of the actions that are wrong. The actions, yes, are wrong... But the wrong doesn't start with the actions. The wrong starts with the thoughts. The wrong starts with the impulses of the heart. The wrong starts because we allow our minds and our hearts to live in places and dwell on things that they should not. And as a result of that, we do things we should not do. But it's not the doing of the things that creates the evil. It's the thoughts that motivate the actions. That's where the evil begins. And Jesus says, that's what corrupts you. That's what defiles you. That's what destroys you spiritually. Not the physical things that you put in your mouth with your physical hands. But the things that are going on in your mind and in your heart that you don't control. That you're not getting hold of. That you're allowing to, to run rampant and take you in places you should not go. And in directions you ought not to travel. And into actions you ought not to commit. That's what's destroying you. Not what's on your hands when you eat your food. And again, this is something that Jesus had dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount. Where repeatedly he showed how they had misinterpreted and misapplied the commandments. And here, Jesus is showing that the end result of that philosophy is that they were completely ignoring the commandments. 
God said, honor your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. They were ignoring that commandment in favor of their tradition. And you'll remember in the sixth chapter of Matthew, in the middle third of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus exposed those hypocrites who made an outward show of their religion. Remember he said, you know, when you pray, don't, don't do what the hypocrites do. Don't stand on the street corner and pray out loud. Go in your room. Close the door. Pray to God in secret. Because he's the only one that needs to hear you. When you give to God, don't do what the hypocrites do. Don't sound a trumpet in the street. Saying, look at me, I'm coming with my bag of money. He said, let your giving be so secret that if your left hand gives something, your right hand doesn't even know about it. Because God is the only one that needs to know what you gave. You don't have to announce it to the world. Announcing it to the world elevates you. It does not elevate God. And that's exactly what these Pharisees and teachers of the law were doing. They wanted people to look at them and say, look what godly, what holy, what pious men these are. And Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that's not what faith is. Faith is not what people think about you. Faith is what you think about God and what God thinks about you. Because that's all that matters. We did a whole lesson from Matthew 23. And you may remember this passage where Jesus in the second and third verses of that chapter said the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. That is to say, they are those who are giving you the law of God. So you must be careful, he says, to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do. Because they do not practice what they preach. And seven times, and you remember we went through them in that lesson. Seven times, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. We talked about that word hypocrite. It comes from a Greek phrase meaning to put on a false face. We talked about how in the Greek theater of ancient times, you know, people would come to the amphitheater and you'd be sitting a great distance away where you couldn't see necessarily the expression on the face of the actor. And so they wore these masks. And we've seen, you know, we're very familiar with two of them, the, the, the laughing mask and the crying mask. The laughing mask that represents comedy and the crying mask that represents tragedy. They actually used masks like that holding them in front of their faces so the people in the back could say, okay, that character is happy now. 
Oh, or, okay, that character is sad now because I can see the sad face. To be a hypocrite is to put on a mask. To appear to be something that one is not actually on the inside. On the other side of the mask. And Jesus repeatedly used that word to describe these religious leaders. Because they wanted to be seen as one thing. When in fact, what they really were was something completely different. I want to wrap up with this. Jesus, you'll notice, did not condemn tradition as such. Jesus does not say tradition is a bad thing. He doesn't say, ignore the tradition of the elders because the tradition, traditions themselves are terrible. That's not really his point. His point was to condemn those who elevated their tradition above the revealed word of God. Who made their tradition more important than what God actually said. And as Christians, that's a valuable lesson for us even today. Because sometimes the how we've always done it can get in the way of what God really said we ought to be doing and what, how we really ought to be thinking about it. I've had the experience a number of times just since I moved visiting a, a, a a new congregation, not that the congregation is new, but it's new to me. I've never been there before. And you probably have had this experience too. If you've gone to a church and you visited there. And, you know, there's always going to be something that's going to be different from what you're accustomed to. You know, maybe the way that the order of the service is a little different. You know, maybe the way that they present something might be a little bit different. Or, you know... The, the, the way that they go about some, some, some manner of the worship might be a little different. And, you know, speaking just for myself, sometimes my first impulse is, that ain't right. <laughs> they can't be doing that. Until I stop and think and ask myself, well, is my concern about that really? God said don't do that. Or is my concern is, well, that ain't how we would do it at Lake Merced. And of course, when I first came to Lake Merced, there would have been things that I would have said, well, that ain't how we did it where I came from before. You know, because we get used to new things. And that the new tradition uh, surpasses the old. But we have to be careful. That we don't let tradition outspeak God's word. And not allow us to put, well, this is how I think we ought to do it. And not elevate that above, well, what does God really say? What does God say is important? And if God says this is important and he doesn't really say, here specifically is how you ought to go about that 
then there may be a lot of ways to go about that. We have to be careful not to make law out of what is merely a practice we've gotten used to. Because Jesus also, we notice, condemned the practice of judging others based on tradition rather than on truth. Or on teaching tradition as though it were truth. Because that's exactly what these religious leaders were doing. They were looking at the disciples of Jesus and saying, you don't do it like us. So you're wrong. When in fact God hadn't said one way or the other about that particular thing. But they were judging others as being less religious. Their faith was less. Their religion was less. Because they didn't do it the way we did it. And they taught their tradition as though that tradition was the truth of God's word. And we have to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap because it's easy to do. It's easy when we get accustomed to doing something in a particular way to think that's the only way you can do it. And we always have to go back and look at God's word and say, but what does God really say about this? And let that be our guide. And focus on that rather than in doing that, here's the practice I've become accustomed to. And allow the practice rule to govern how we judge whether people are doing what God said to do. Because that's what really matters. These Pharisees and these religious teachers walked from San Francisco to Gilroy to have this conversation, to have this confrontation with Jesus. Because they wanted to find something that they could point to the crowds and say, look at what this man is doing. You don't want to follow him. And the best that they could do was say, look, his disciples don't wash their hands when they eat. As is our tradition. That was, a, that was the biggest indictment they could come up with after having traveled all that way. That was the greatest judgment that they had. And Jesus not only thwarts that judgment, but he demonstrates the fallacy in their reliance on tradition rather than in the truth of God's word. And I just want to encourage us as disciples of Jesus not to fall into that pit of following the blind guide of what somebody said we ought to do 
and always follow the light of what God commands that we do.